Here they come! Hello, and welcome to episode 75 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average, or duff. I'm your host, Eric Moore, and today I'm joined by Andrew Glazebrook to discuss the Balrog scene in The Fellowship of the Ring. Greetings from the humongous, the Lord humongous, the warrior of the wasteland, Hello, Andrew. Yeah, hi, Eric. You okay? I'm 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 better tonight than I was last night. You and I know <laughs> what we're talking about, but uh, yeah, no, I'm all right. I'm all right. Um, oh, good, good. Lord of the Rings, then making its first appearance on this show. Some something you and I we've never talked about it. I don't know. Were you uh, a fan of the book when you were growing up? Oh, I I read the book sort of when I was in my sort of college years, so that'll have been around about nineteen eighty three, eighty four, and I've right. never read I've never read it since. That was like the the one and only time. It was kind of just one of those sort of books that I think went round the college. You know, like a lot of people were in into it at the time, and and I was sort of at that point when I was still doing my sort of role playing, sort of Dungeons and Dragons and stuff. So I think that's what got me into it, and you know, I did enjoy reading it, but uh, I've never sort of dragged myself back to it, really. Mm. Um, I don't know, yeah. when did you read it at the same sort of time in your uh, teens? Yeah, 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 definitely in my teens, and I read it because, you know, it's fantasy, and, yeah. um, you know, it's meant to be a classic, but I've, I found it quite a slog to get through. The, the action bits are fine, and, you know, the, 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 the world that he creates is, is brilliant, but I just found it quite a slog. Uh, between yeah. the set pieces there's an awful lot of uh not much going on and there was songs in it which i wasn't um uh i don't think i was uh, expecting but the the biggest problem i had when i did read mm-hmm. it was i'd already read and loved the robert e howard conan books right okay and and, and of course they are you know they are fantasy um it's this other ancient earth but yeah. they were short stories. They were like, you know, 40, maybe 50 pages. And they and they went along at a cracking pace. So going from Conan books to, you know, Tolkien, um, yeah, I, I found it yeah. quite a, a, a difference. Yeah, the, 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 the Conan books literally are pulp, aren't they? You know, they're mm. designed to be just picked up on an afternoon and sort of read for a bit of fun, like a comic book in a way, uh, where Lord of the Rings is far more in-depth. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree. I agree with you about the songs and other bits and pieces. I mean, you know, it's do a little bit like one of those things. Uh, I often say this to people about uh, certain movies, like Schindler's List or Born on the Fourth of July. They're well worth watching on the big screen once, but you wouldn't want to just go home on an afternoon and put one on no. to watch for entertainment. And I think Lord of the Rings is very much like that. It is if you can drag yourself to it to read it once, great. 
But I, I mean, I literally have a friend, I think, who read it sort of like, you know, every few years. And he did the same with June as well, which, you know, is a lot of work to mm. to, to do that, that really. But, uh, but he has read them sort of quite a lot of times. He's a proper sort of expert on them, really. Um, but I certainly couldn't. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I don't. I don't know when I. I, I will fancy going back and rereading it. Uh, I mean, we have the Peter Jackson films now. If I want to uh, re-encounter, you know, um, that world, I, I can watch yeah. the films now. I, I, I definitely think as well. There's this. There's this thing now as well with the Lord of the Rings, uh, where if I was to go back, I would be constantly thinking of the Peter Jackson. You know, uh, the, the characters. Uh, it's very difficult to get that out of your head. I know last time I tried to read June, which was probably in the late, um, probably later uh, 80s, early 90s, it was a similar deal. I couldn't see anybody for Paul except for uh, Cal McLachlan. Mm. It, was quite, it was quite difficult. Uh, and Gurney, then thinking Patrick Stewart, and yeah. Thufa Howard, Freddie Jones. So, you know, I think once you've sort of seen the movie, it kind of, if the movie does certain things correctly it does kind of spoil the book mm. um, in a lot of ways and I'm sure with uh, Gandalf you could see nobody but McKellen well, uh, well there, as you were talking there it made me think do you think somewhere you know, somewhere in in the future say 30 40 years in the future they decide to remake Lord of the Rings and I wonder you know how you know a new filmmaker would make it differently to how Peter Jackson uh, has made it and you know how the actors chosen would compare to the actors mm. who we na now have yeah it, it's one of those things i think with fantasy it's like the, the there's been a lot of illustrators over the years whether it's ted Smith, whether it's the uh, the hildebrandts and a lot of them have covered the same sort of ground um especially with characters like gandalf so you know there's not much way someone can come in Unless you're doing like a Tim Burton version where the interpretation's so off the wall, you know, mm. Gandalf's always just going to have to look like Gandalf. And, you know, there's a certain expectation as to how he looks. Um, and it would be quite difficult to sort of like, you know, d do a different version in a way, unless it was really. I'd, I'd, one illustrator, actually, who I know did quite um, a weird interpretation was Rodney Matthews, has done some Middle Earth stuff in the yeah. past. Yeah. And the, and the Rodney Matthews stuff would lend itself ideally to a cartoon, uh, probably not to live action, but he does do a different vibe. Mm. Um, but in terms of like, yeah, live action movie, um, I mean, you think, yeah, that's kind of Gandalf was spot on. Yeah, so uh, why, why, why bother? Why bother making yeah. Lord of the Rings yeah. again if, if, if they've been that truthful to the yeah. illustrations, as you say, and to the book? Yeah. Books. yeah yeah um so when this was coming out uh fellowship of the ring was coming out were you looking forward to it yeah i was still working at the audience uh we got i think it was one of these movies where the trailer came out quite literally a year before it um, was that teaser one wasn't it where all they did was come up over that ridge in the mountain and they're just walking in slow motion do you remember the very first one yeah, there, there was an actual um, shot of some of the uh, the Orc army as well, and I think it was done for the trailer. Um, oh, right. There, there was like a brief shot of the Orc army coming over a hill as well, um, using the uh, the massive oh, I technology. Just, I just remember the hero shot one where they all come over in slow motion over uh, the, the the snowy ridge of a mountain. 
or something. No, I do, I do remember this one had some clips, and I'm certainly there was a shot of an orc army that wasn't in the final cut. Um, oh, right. But um, I, I do remember, obviously, when we kind of showed this round about the December, January, that I thought we're not going to be around the following year when it gets released. Because I think it got released, was it the November, 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 December of 2001? That's right. Yeah, no, I think, I think it, it was, was. Yeah, it was about the last week in November, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Very beginning of December. So, um, yeah, the Odeon had already closed in the sort of summer by then. So I've seen it at the, uh, what was then the UGC cinema, which is now the Cineworld. Right. Which uh, was right down the road from where I was, so, yeah. Right, right. Uh, but I was looking forward to it, you know, because I, I had enjoyed the cartoon in the past, uh, the unfinished cartoon. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I was looking forward to it and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. In fact, 2001 was quite a good year at the cinema, I thought. I remember there, was, uh, there were several movies out that year, uh, including uh, the... Um, Oh, what was the one by Christoph Gans? The one with the wolf. Um, I can't remember what that one was called now off the top of my head. But there was, I remember there's been about four or five films that year where there were all f- sort of foreign directors, non, non, non-Hollywood directors, shall we say. Mm. Um, you know, whether, whether there was sort of... Uh, there was a Baz Luhrmann, he did Moulin Rouge, and I really enjoyed Moulin Rouge. I thought it was a you know fun movie. Um, and... Um, I'm trying to think what this one with, with the wolf was called. Um, it will come back to you. Yeah. But uh, anyway, that, that that year I remember thinking, oh, wow, there's been some really good movies and all of them were your typical non-Hollywood, including Peter Jackson with his kind of... This was like his first sort of really big sort of movie in a way, wasn't it? I think mm. Frighteners was before this, but nothing was as big as this in terms no. of putting him on, putting him on, the, uh, on the map. I, I knew him before this. I mean, the, the thing that I liked that he had done uh, before this was uh, Meet the Feebles, yeah, which is yeah. something we've got to do for this show at some point. Yeah. Um, but, no, when, when, I, when I think back on, you know, before this film opens, it's always in a case of trailers. And yeah. back then, you know, you, you know back, I mean, this is um, just before the internet, I can remember, you know, a lot of the staff were desperate to see this film as well. And we would mm. get a trailer in. It's like, oh, we've got the Lord of the Rings trailer. Oh, can you put it on? Can you put it on? And, you know, you'd be badgered to put on a, yeah. a, a, a run a trailer, you know, for the staff in, in, in a break between shows. Yeah. So, so that was that. But also uh, Orlando Bloom was uh, a Canterbury boy. And I was working right. at the Odeon Canterbury at the time. And uh, his mother used to come in. And, All right. uh, yeah, she used to phone up and say, are you showing Orlando's uh, trailer at the moment? And uh, if it was on, she would come come in and just stand at the back and watch her boy <laughs> up there on the screen. So I always remember that as well. Yeah. But I've, uh, got, I've got real mixed feelings when I think back about this film because my uh, middle sister... Um, was a huge Lord of the Rings fan and she was desperate to see it and you know I, I would wind her up and it's like oh I've just seen the trailer and she you know she wasn't one for going to the cinema and she found that gutting but um, she was desperate to see the film but she died two months before it was released right so mm-hmm. so whenever I think of this one particularly this yeah. sequence that we're going to talk about today I always tear up because it, uh-huh. it is a, it's a very beautiful end to this sequence 
And yeah. uh, I always think of her, and the music is is what does it for me. And so I can't watch this sequence without thinking yeah. of her and actually tearing up. I'm afraid. So <laughs> I, I I don't think I'm going to blub during this, but uh, okay. just bear that in mind. I, okay. <laughs> I, I I wouldn't blame him if you did. So uh, sad story. But, uh, yeah. Mm. Uh, the, the movie I'm thinking of actually is Brotherhood of the Wolf. That's what oh it was yes, yeah, yeah. That's the one that based. It's the French one, isn't it? It's based on the 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 true or it's meant to be based on a true event yeah 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 um the one thing actually about lord of the rings i do remember and this is back in the day when i used to collect a lot of fun magazines i think it was either premier magazine or something like that had one of these nice photo sessions where they had all of the cast uh the hobbits the elves um gandalf really really like lovely publicity photographs when production had first started in new zealand so they were the first pictures we got to see of the cast, and you know, you looked at Gandalf and you thought, "Wow, that's Gandalf," you know, and mm. and and uh, you know, there, there's Gimli and stuff like that. Yeah, it was, you know, re- really professionally sort of taken, just for the for the magazine almost um, type of thing. Until we got the first trailer, because um, you know, it was in production for a long time, wasn't it? I think it was eighteen months initially. Yeah, it was a long, long time. Um, yeah, you know, it was a, it was a very expansive shoot because it was covering bits of the other movies at the same time. Hmm. Um, and those those documentaries, I mean, to anybody who's listening to this, if you've never seen the documentaries on those, uh, you know, on the DVD sets, um, they're fantastic. I mean, they're entertainment in themselves. Um, you've got to see just what went into making Lord of the Rings. Uh, because the the work that went into it and the camaraderie between the crew and the cast, it's absolutely fantastic. Mm. You know, so they're well worth watching those. There's hours and hours worth it, aren't yeah, there, on each def- one for definitely. each film. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, well, I thought before we discuss the sequence uh, today, I thought it might be an idea to put this Balrog we're going to be talking about in some sort of context uh, what with how it's described in the book and also how it appeared in the 1978 as you say uh, animated film by Ralph yeah. Bakshi okay so I've, I've written it down here the Balrog in the book okay the right. Balrog in the book I'd forgotten this it, it actually had a name in the book it's called Durin's Bane all right, okay. Okay, because it killed Durin, one of the dwarves uh, who lived in Moria. Um, and as to its appearance, it's quite tricky because Tolkien was a bit like H.G. Wells. H.G. Wells in uh, The War of the Worlds is a bit vague and contradicts himself on what the Martians look like and what the fighting machines actually look like. And it's a bit like that here. Okay, right. and there's been debate going on for decades about just what a Balrog looks like. It says here in the book, it appeared, it was like a great shadow in the middle of which was a dark form of man shape, maybe, yet greater. That's the first bit. Mm. Then it says, its streaming mane kindled and blazed behind it. In its right hand was a blade like a stabbing tongue of fire. In its left, it held a whip of many thongs. Right. So in that, yeah, that's sort of like the Balrog that, we're going to be talking about i think yeah um and then talking about gandalf it says his enemy halted again facing him and the shadow about it reached out like two great vast wings fire came from its nostrils it stepped forward slightly onto the bridge and suddenly it drew itself to a great height and its wings spread from wall to wall Mm. okay 
But did it actually have wings? Because that's the debate. Some people think that by saying that it's uh, it's there was a shadow which reached out like like two great vast wings. Yeah, yeah. Some people say no, that's just the shadow on the wall. It didn't have wings. But uh, there you go. That's that that's how it's described in the book. Yeah. Um... The, the, the description sort of fairly fits both of the Balrogs in a way. Um, the, there's elements of, of both of them in there. Um, you know, I mean, the animated one obviously tried its best. Uh, but, uh, you know, I can... Yeah, it's unusual to hear that after all this time because, you know, I've, it's, it's a long time since I've read it. So, mm. yeah. Okay. Uh- Right, on to the Ralph Bakshi's version. It it seems that John Borman was going to do a version in the mid-70s, and yeah. you, you like myself, are a big fan of Excalibur. So yeah. you read that and you think, oh, what would he have done? But uh, it seemed that he was planning on condensing the three books into one film, um, right. round about two, two and a half hours long. And yeah. Ralph Bakshi, when he heard about it, he was a fan of the books and Tolkien, and he was horrified that that was going to happen. Um, mm. And when John Borman's plan came to nothing, Ralph approached Tolkien's daughter to do the novels as a trilogy of animated film films. Sorry, um, and his daughter loved Bakshi's uh, other animated film, Wizards. Yeah. So she gave him the rights to do Lord of the Rings, and. He filmed The Fellowship of the Ring and the Two Towers as one film and had planned to film Return of the King, but it was never completed, of course. Yeah. Um, you and I have looked at this um, to remind ourselves of what the R- Ralph Bakshi mm. uh, version of the Balrog looks like. And after years now of looking at the Peter Jackson version, this version is a bit odd, is it not? Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> You were saying just before we recorded that you think that because an awful lot of the animation in this film was rotoscoped, that you feel that that somebody must have made a Balrog costume and had somebody wearing it. Yeah, um, I've definitely seen photographs of the guys wearing the the orc armor on location, literally sat on horseback. So this, to me, looks like somebody built this suit with the wings, with the heads, um, and had somebody strolling about in it to take the rotoscope from. I mean, the majority of the stuff in the movie is rotoscope. There's very few bits, in a way, which, you know, you could sort of say traditional cell animation, uh, besides the main characters. So, uh, for sure, somebody will cobble this together, um, you know, somehow. And it it does have sort of very much like a lion's head. Um, I was, I was looking like, at it and, and I was thinking, what is going on? Because, yeah, the face is like the face of a lion, but it looks like it's on a bear's head. The head's too bulbous for a yeah. lion. Um, and it's got and these it, butterfly bat-type wings, hasn't it? Yeah, they're kind of segmented, aren't they? Sort of almost mm. like, you know, they, they could be translucent. Uh, but they are definitely wings, and it does definitely fly at one point. It does actually yes. take off in, in that sequence. Uh, where the Peter Jackson one doesn't, um, this actually physically flies into the in, onto the bridge. Um, yeah. Well, Peter- I say fly, it, 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 sort of, <laughs> it drifts across. Yeah. I suppose. I mean, Peter Jackson has said, you know, that he 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 lifted from from mm. uh, th- this animated version certain th- th- scenes, like the, yeah. the 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 ring wraiths on the road and stuff like that. And you know, when yeah. they are in the uh, the 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 inn 
near the beginning, mm. you, you, you know, which is fine. And it's great, you know, uh, because Ralph did them very well. I'm glad he didn't go with the flared look for yeah. his yeah. barrel because they do look like he's wearing furry flares. It really does. It kind of reminds me of what the, they did with Tim Courier's Darkness. When you see that close-up of, like, the cloven hoof come through the mirror, um, mm. y- you know, it kind of has that who fail with the, the fur around it, but mm. the, the Tim Curry one was just a sparing kind of close-up shot. You don't really see it much more than that, but you, that's the effect they're going for. Yeah, it's kind of that clo- cloven hoof, but it just looks like does. a guy with really flurry trousers on, I suppose. It, look, it looks like the trousers John Travolta was wearing in Saturday Night Fever, though, that yeah, big. Uh, yeah, yeah right. like kind of hairy. Yeah, I mean, th- th- this is so much more different to Peter Jackson's take, you know, in look and feel and spirit. And we're going to have a clip now. I, I thought yep. we'd play a clip just so folk can uh, get an idea of um, what we mean by it. It is very strange to, to listen to this. We're so used to Ian McKellen's uh, delivery of the Fly You Fools. Um, to hear it done with a different actor in a completely different acting style is is really quite odd. So let's go and have that clip. Now. Okay. You cannot pass. I am a servant of the secret fire. You cannot pass. Go back to the shadow. Who, who was the voice of the animated? I don't uh, know. I, 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 I should have looked that up. I'll, I'll, some... I'll find it for the Facebook. I don't like opening anything else up on this computer while I'm doing a recording because I don't trust my computer to do two things at once. I'm just looking now on my... Uh, I'm on my telephone, so I'm having a quick scan down. Uh, so I'm just curious because it is somebody really, really well known. Oh, no, it's not. Uh, Will, William, oh, no, John... Squ- William Squire, they call him. He's a, Welsh, he's a Welsh actor of Sturgeon film. Because uh, John Hurt's Aragorn, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, John Hurt's Aragorn. He was in Where Eagles Dare as Captain Lee Thomas, uh, 39 right. Steps. He was in Blake 7 as Commissar. Oh, I know who he is. <coughs> right. We're going to be doing an episode on him um, coming up. Right, yeah, Commissar. In, uh, it doesn't say which episode, but uh, that's, yeah. It was oh. him who did the voice of Gandalf. Well, I, I know that episode. I I watched um, that episode of Blake 7 not that long ago and thought, yeah, we'll have Commissar for this. Um, right. Well, I would never have I would never have guessed that. His his delivery in that is not the same at all. Oh, right. I have to put these up on Facebook, a compare and contrast. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into this, uh, into our sequence. Um, you, you're like me. When you're a projectionist, you can go into the auditorium and you can, you know, watch a sequence whenever you want and yeah, watch yeah. them over and over again. I this I used to watch from <laughs> right at the beginning when they're outside the doors of Moria. The whole watcher in the water bit. Yeah. I used to watch it all the way through to the end of the sequence that we're going to talk about today, and uh, I just loved it. I I, I, yeah. I was just entranced by it. I I, I think this is near perfect uh, cinema storytelling. I really do. 
I, th- I think that that's the, my problem is I wasn't then at the cinema, so it was a case of I actually went to see this about four or five times at the cinema, uh, paid to go and see it because I, I didn't have that luxury of being able to just go and stand at the back and because uh, my cinema had closed and I'd moved on to do other things. So I did actually... Was that, was that rare for you to, to pay to see a film four or five times? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I probably hadn't seen paid to see a film that many times, probably since something like Evil Dead 2 back in, mm-hmm. you know, around about 1986, 87. Right. When I, say, when I seen that literally <laughs> four times in one day. <laughs> um, so, and I've seen it seven times in all at the cinema, Evil Dead 2. So, yeah. Lovely. Uh, but, uh, yeah. All right. It, uh, one. No, I was going to say, um, <clears throat> let's start the sequence, okay? Yeah. Um, so, our heroes, they're making for the bridge of Khazad-dûm, but they get surrounded by orcs. Mm. Um, yeah. Now... The, the only niggle I've got in this sequence is what happens just here. I, I I didn't find it very believable then, and I certainly don't now. The way they come streaming down those pillars from out of the ceiling, um, it's not convincing to me at all. Yeah, the the, the sort of the Moria orcs are a little bit kind of they're like a bit like the what was in the Descent film by Neil Marshall almost mm. the things that live on the underground caves so they can scale walls I suppose that's where he got them from um, Neil Marshall that is um, but yeah it's a similar type of vibe as in they can climb vertical faces and yeah the, I, I didn't really mind that aspect of it the, the, there's you know they've got a little bit more of a golem type feel to the eyes as yeah. well, haven't they? Supposedly, you know, they're a little bit more kind of because they've been in the dark for, yeah. for a while. But uh, uh, yeah, that, that... not after you, Andrew. I was going to say that wasn't my main my main problem. I've always had one problem with sequence, um, which we'll, I'll, I'll say now is I think it was always the fact that at the very beginning of the sequence, uh, when the they first get trapped into the mines. Gandalf says it's a three-day journey to the other side, um, and we never get any kind of inkling that they've been in there for three days. Yeah, they're, li- they're literally they go into the big hall, they find the tomb of um, uh, Balin or whatever he's called. They alert the orcs. The, the sequence with the cave troll. Then they have to get to the bridge at Khazadum, um, and it seems like they've, they've maybe been in there like half a day. There's, there's, there's no kind of montage of them kind of camping or singing songs around the campfire or walking uh, to give the idea they've been in there for such a long time. And it is literally three days, according to him, at the mm. beginning of the, of the sequence. And um, then by the time they get to the other side, you kind of think, yeah, they were in there about half a day for that, you know. <laughs> so there's just that kind of problem with time. Um, yes. It, it really could have just done with padding out to give the idea that they'd been in the dark for a long time so when they, they come outside it's bright you know um, yeah or, or they could have done what they did you know during the uh, the journey to the mines you know going up the and over the mountains and stuff like that just some shots of them just walking through endless corridors just uh you, you know a few yeah. scenes of that yeah yeah i think there's only i think there's only one pause in the sequence it's it's the it's the bit when uh, they sit around for a bit because gandalf is he can't work out which way to go and that's when they realize Gollum's kind of in there as well with them um and and then i think he sort of says ah he says i remember this is this is the way sort of thing yeah um 
but besides that, it's the only sort of sort of break where the characters appear to be sort of sat around for a little bit. Um, it just it just needed much more padding out if it was meant to be a three day journey. In fact, you know, if you took off the fact that it was going to take three days to get to the other side, you would be none the wiser, and you'd have you. I wouldn't be questioning this. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, if he just if he just said, you know, we've we've got a journey to make through the mines, I'd have thought fair enough. You know. Yes. Yeah. It, it, it might take them two hours. It might take them half a day. It might take them three days. Um, but the fact he specifies it's going to be three days then gives you something to gauge the journey by. So, mm, mm. yeah, that was always my main, main fault with it. Mm. Yeah, it's a minor thing, though. It's not too yeah. bad, is it? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the the orcs come down and uh, surround them. You're absolutely right. I, I like these orcs. I, these are my favourite of all the orcs. Later on in, in the other films, yeah, they're just a bit too human-like, some of them. You know, yeah. um, but here, I mean, especially that bug-eyed one. There's a bug-eyed one when you see all the close-ups. There's a bug-eyed one with no nose, and that's clearly mm. not a man in a mask. You know, yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I I I love all the armor, the 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 scarab-like armor and mm-hmm. shields. Um, apparently, they were trying to uh, evoke crabs and anglerfish as well. You know, that lived in the deep deep depths of. Uh, yeah the seas and these are in the deep deep depths of the mine so it's that sort of inference going on there yeah and then but, and then, uh, we, then we hear the, the the noise in the distance don't we of the, the like the balrog being yeah awakened yeah we get um, this echoey growl don't we and 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 i think it's it's terrific because the music stops and everything yeah. goes still while that growl happens and then the orcs start clearing off yeah, um, like real, real panic, isn't it? You know, they, they they know they know what it is. You know, yeah. <laughs> so and, they all just scarper. Yeah, and yeah, and and we've got this beautiful red lighting in the distance, this glow in the distance, mm. and I like when when they're looking towards this. I like the way how Legolas he's doing a side to side thing with his bow and arrow, you know, backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, because he doesn't know what on earth's going on. And yeah. uh, Gandalf is staring, and you've got Boromir le- leans in, and he says, what is this new devilry? Yeah. Um, and as with most of this film, it's not totally accurate, more a variation. In the book, the line is actually spoken by Gandalf, and he actually says, there is some devilry here. So, you know, right. it's just a little tweak <laughs> yeah. and, and, and a passing to somebody else, but uh, it's totally in keeping. Yeah. And... It's just a bit. He sort of stands for a bit until he sort of realizes exactly what. It, it's almost like he, his worst fears have been confirmed, and then he basically sort of says, "You know, n- not you know, nothing can sort of like help you. We just he just says run." You know? Yeah, it's, it's the fact that you know you you think, oh, "Is he going to face him?" And he's just not run, run away, run away. Yeah, run away. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, but I like just before that. I like Ian McKellen's delivery where he goes, you know, he goes a Balrog, you know, yeah. a demon of the ancient world. You know, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the point where the the, the heading to where all the, the steps are, and this is another slight weird bit of continuity. He he sort of says to Aragorn about, about, about the bridge. Yep. And he appears to sort of look directly across, like, at the bridge, like it's in the distance, but on the same level as them. And yet they seem to actually then go down. 
it, um, it, it is really strange shot that used to bother yeah. me every time I used to watch this in the theater and it bothers me now it's the perspectives all wrong um you're looking yeah, at it, it from the wrong angle yeah if, if if he was pointing down and you could see the bridge down below them in the distance you know uh, it's uh you know in well into the depth of the, the mines you think fair enough but he looks directly across at the bridge it is a sideways a, look yes yeah yeah it? But then, then they actually start heading down downwards. So you're thinking, <laughs> you don't head downwards to get to something that's at the side of you. It's um, it's really, really strange. You, you, you know, in such a good sequence, you know, yeah. this shot, it's just... I don't know if it's a placer shot and they never had time to actually put in a more finished one. But, yeah, the, the, the angle's all wrong. The perspective's all wrong. And also, when you see the bridge and its surroundings, it's not anything like the bridge that we're just about to see yeah yeah you could almost do with a a, a new like matte painting of it sort of off in the distance but lower down mm. so you kind of get the idea they're heading down to it but um yeah i mean what what's good again about this as a as a monster in this sequence is we've yet to see it at this point but it, we, we can feel kind of its presence um the, just it's it's creating like havoc as in you know parts of the building are like part of the mines are starting to crumble mm. um you know just from its sheer sort of force in a way and and, and you know you're thinking you know, what is it what is it you know what's coming um, yeah and and it's it works so well that just that, that you know to, to be not there but then to actually be sort of threatening is absolutely fantastic yep um you know, you don't need to sort it to see it at that point to realise that there's something coming, and Gandalf knows what it is, and that's why they're getting out there. You know, really, yeah. really sharpish. The music's really helping it as well. I love this cool, oh, yeah. Mu- yeah. chanting music that's uh, accompanying it. But yeah, we get to this the stairs sequence. Um, the, the the gravity defying physics defying you know stair sequence very Indiana Jones I've always thought this that, that yeah. this is more like an Indiana Jones sequence yeah yeah mm. very sort of Temple of Doom almost isn't it uh, it is type of thing in a way but the lighting as but, well uh, yeah. is very Temple of Doom yeah I mean you know I I had no problem with the the, the sort of you know, the, the the two characters are on the sort of section of the stair and then it collapses and falls forward. I thought it was great fun. Um, and this is like some of the first use of digital extras as well. You could sort of see them in the long shots kind of going down the staircases and, you yeah. know, they, they still hold up okay. I've only got these uh, movies on DVD slide. I never really bothered to go on to the Blu-rays because I... No, no, I didn't. I think in a way the Blu-ray might sort of not do it justice as in it might make things look cheaper and yeah i'm quite happy to sort of see it, the version i kind of know i i, I do know people who've, who've done that with blu-rays in the past they've said oh the special effects look a bit ropey and you think yeah they look okay on the dvd still yeah um, yeah, yeah, yeah so I'm, I'm, i'll just stick with the dvd it was never meant to be probably seen so 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 clear in a way right. um but um yeah so and um and then we get to the point obviously where the balrog first appears right let's have a clip of that shall we before we discuss yeah. the big fella all right so let's have a yeah. clip now you cannot pass get out i am a servant of the secret fire wielder of the flame of arnold 
Dark fire will not avail you! Flame of Udun! Go back to the shadow! So, yeah, they get to the bridge, and up he comes. Yeah. Um, I don't know where he's come from. He's he's below, isn't he? So you can assume, yes, uh, he has got wings, because he comes up from below, doesn't he? Yeah, and I can still remember every single hair on the back of my neck sticking up when he appeared. I just, I was absolutely blown away by that first shot of him. You know, it's it, like it such... It is brilliant. Oh, it's fantastic, and it, it still looks fantastic. I only watched it, say, you know, a couple of nights ago, and the whole sequence still works, and just his, just what he is, it's one of the best monsters. Considering I'm such a big fan of kind of traditional creature effects, and this is digital, it is probably still one of the best digital creatures. Um, and it's just absolutely amazing, you know, just the way he's done. Um yeah, I, this I, <laughs> words are failing you. No, yeah. it's just stunning. This first shot because he comes up, he lands, the yeah. camera moves in towards his face and arrives at his face just as he lets that roar out, and then you've yeah. got all that heat haze coming out of his mouth as he does so. Uh, it's just, it's a stunning piece of work. Yeah, that, I, I, I think that's what's so good about it. It's that. It is that kind of tactile thing of the heat is. It, it mm. doesn't feel digital. It feels like there's real fire and heat yep. going on inside him. He's got like real presence. It, 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 nothing about it kind of strikes you as being fake or phony or, you know, like, oh, that's, that's a CG effect. And, you know, it, yeah, there's you just, just something buy about it, don't you? you yeah, just you buy do. It. Yeah. You don't question it. I mean, good CGI. You don't question it. You don't go, oh, that's all right, mm. but I know it's CGI. You 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 buy it and you believe yeah. it, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then we cut to the Fellowship and they're crossing the bridge, and it's an effect I've never really liked because it does the impossible of swinging up and over and around them as it uh, as they go over, and um, it's just not possible in the real world and it can only be a computer effect you know and sometimes you know computer effects can be a bit too showy offy if you know what i mean yeah i think this was sort of like one of the first times that sort of utilized that kind of shot and then it became a bit kind of you know the norm for fantasy movies you know whether it was prince of persia or whether it was you know, even some of the more recent films, kind of like... 300 you know, the, and stuff like that. Yeah, it's kind of, we can do these shots now, so let's use them. And I've seen so many other films kind of copy that style. I mean, even Jackson himself with the, uh, you know, the Hobbit films, uh, you know, kind of recopied it. And it didn't work as good as it does in this. But I totally agree with, um, you know, the fact that these sort of shots, which are slightly impossible in terms of the camera moves, always take you a little bit out of it. it it's a distraction isn't it it, it you're, yeah you're, you're looking at the technique of how they've done it rather than buying it like you just did with the balrog now you're going hmm this is unusual and you're thinking more about that than what the people were doing going across the bridge yeah yeah um 
Mm, I, th- I think it is just that kind of... If it was just sort of like a pan from, you know, left to right, you think, oh, okay, fair enough. Uh, mm. I, I, I know that can be done, but, yeah, it's... it's the, it's almost like it's the uh, it's like the camera at the beginning of Highlander, you know, the one that's kind of in mm-hmm. the um, uh, wrestling ring where it's yeah. kind of on the cables and it's doing moves that uh, are fancy, but mm. it doesn't re- it, it doesn't really work in uh, Lord of the Rings. No, uh, no. Cost but that's context. a small niggle. It's only a small niggle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we've next got Gandalf's whole stop. You cannot pass. Yeah. And uh, the Balrog rears up and ignites itself. Mm. Um, but there's something, I don't know, there's something about when it opens its arms. They're not too skinny. There's just something about his arms. I don't know what it is. I can't, I can't put my finger on it, but something doesn't seem quite right to me. It's just the way he holds his arms out, I think, when he I've ignites. Never, I've never really noticed that. I just... You know, I liked all of the sequence and just think it looks... I don't think there's a single shot in the sequence where I don't sort of rate it in a way. Hmm. Um, no, it's just something about the pose of his arms that right. he goes into. I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too picky. Is um, he kind of... Is he? Is it the shot where he's kind of quite sort of lean, leaning forward and maybe his no, arms no, are no, just no, in No, 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 no. No, no, he stands up. He stands right up and he raises his arms up and he ignites and he bright, brightens right up. And right. um, it's just something about the pose of those arms. I don't, I don't know what it is, but all um, right, that's that. Right, Gandalf holds up his staff, and he seems to have some sort of force field around him as as the sword comes crashing down, yeah. and the Balrog roars and and looks totally and utterly brilliant. Um, yeah, and we get the go back to the shadow line, and yeah. um, it steps on the bridge. Uh, it cracks its whip, and you get the whole "you shall not pass" moment. Yeah. Um, his staff cracks the bridge, and it collapses as the Balrog steps forward, and it falls. And I love the way when it falls, it falls in, almost in slow motion, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, the the um, the animated one at this point, you know, there's a similar sort of, you know, you can sort of see a comparison between the two. Uh, but then again, I suppose if the description from the book is like accurate, then you know they're going to try and emulate that, uh, whether <laughs> it's in the live action or the animated one. So you know they're very, very sort of similar as 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 it falls and then it cracks its whip to to get Gandalf. Yeah. Um. You know, and um, and the dialogue and that. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh, just one of them fantastic sequences. You know, it, it ranks up there for me with you know some of the best sort of effect sequences and just you know to edgy seat sort of sequences as well yeah oh no it, it is superb i love the bit when you know it, he's being caught by the whip and he's hanging onto the ledge and you have the the camera goes right in on his face and you have the fly you falls and then mm. falls and then you have that music start the uh very beautiful choral music um yeah. And as brilliant as the Balrog is in this sequence, this is my favourite part of the sequence. It's the reactions from Aragorn and Frodo. You know, the music has started up. Everything's almost in a dreamlike slow motion as they yeah. as they escape. This is a beautiful, beautiful moment of film for me. I I love the ending of this sequence. Yeah. Um. I think 
I mean, I know, I know we're only talking about it in this sequence itself, but you know what I liked about it at the beginning of the two towers where we, we pick up and the opening of the two towers for me is one of the best openings of any movie because we essentially get the sequel to this sequence, mm. <laughs> um, you know, which is bizarre, but, um, the the thing about the two towers for me as well is the the natural extension of this sequence. They don't they don't spoil it. The Balrog in the two towers is equally as good in the sequences that it's in, and they could have easily sort of spoiled it. They could have easily sort of uh, weakened its impact. They could have you know um, just made the effects kind of too you know obvious or mm. or give it too much to do or had it speak or whatever but no you know the the opening of the two towers where they fall and the battling is absolutely brilliant and then the bit later on when he describes how they went you know and sort of fought from the from the deepest cavern to the highest mountain the balrog is still amazing even in mm. that second movie and it's still like again sort of like in the two towers one of my favorite sequence is with the two with the balrog um, do you, th- do you and- think it looks so brilliant because they they you, you know as you said earlier they made a lot of the uh, the the other two films at the same time as the first one they could have done the whole of this Balrog scenes all together and then just chopped them up where needed so it's it's it, it was all filmed at the same time and that's why it's consistent to what we're seeing in this sequence yeah quite quite possibly yeah maybe, maybe as if there'd have been sort of like a bigger gap in between movies. Uh, they may have sort of like you know like sort of re- redone the Balrog in terms of it, you know how it was done and the effect and we the, I think sometimes it's like you know the, uh, we've said this probably before about the Jurassic Park for me the dinosaurs in the first film are probably the ones that are still the most effective mm. um, you know even though technically the skin and the shaders and all the other stuff in the later ones is better the stunning is still about what happens in the first film with the dinosaurs that still seem the most realistic to me. Mm. Um, and I think this is the same sort of setup. It's like, um, you know, had there been like a three or four year gap in between the movies, they probably would have then redone the Balrog. You know, they'd have mm. rethought the Balrog. They'd have probably brought in different team of people to create the effect. And then you might have been more polished, but would it have been as good? Um, it, but, it, it wouldn't have sat alongside this one. You're absolutely right. The the, the two merge. You could you could. I don't know if anybody's done it on YouTube. Yeah, but, but yeah, they have. Cut yeah. out. Oh, they have and made it into one yeah. uh, piece. Right. Yeah, like, they've, they've made the, the, the full like sequence work through. Because I I did see that actually. Funny enough, um, a couple of years ago, someone had done that, and you think, yeah, it's spot on. It just works exactly as one sequence. But as I say, you know, the opening of the two towers. You know, when you go and see the second film, you don't really know how it's going to open, and that's your opening. <laughs> you know, um, and it's and done really... so well. It, it's, it's oh been yeah, a long you... times I've seen it because you you hear the yeah you, the, you, you, this you sequence, see them, you see them outside the mountain. Yeah. Yes, and then you go in, and it's it's like it it it's recounting what you've seen in the last movie. Yeah. You know that last that last sort of minute. You know, you shall not pass, and then it continues on, and it's fantastic. And that just immediately, you're just drawn straight into the second movie. Yep, you're in, you aren't know, you? Oh, yeah, it's like a fantastic <laughs> hook to to, yeah. to pull you in. Um, and and you kind of think, oh, that's the last you're going to sort of see the Balrog after you see them falling. But then, no, when they meet Gandalf the White, uh, he says about you know how how he fought the Balrog. Yeah, yeah. And you just get that great sequence where they're on that mountain top with that tower. 
Um, and he's outside at that point. It's like on a snow-capped mountain. I don't That's know right, how they yeah. how, how got up there, but it's still great. The Balrog's still amazing. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he is terrific. He is terrific. Our, our sequence, though, is, it's coming to an end. Uh, they, they're outside the mines now. Um, yeah. And, we, again, we've got brilliant performances from all involved as they're in shock as to mm. what's happened. And all the while, the score is coming to this beautiful climax. Something I don't understand is if you, if you have the, the, the soundtrack, this yeah. piece of music ends... It, it it ends too soon. This piece of music, as it reaches this uh, climax, isn't on the soundtrack. They've, they've, oh, right. they've cut it before, and I really don't know why. Because this it's a beautiful ending to it, and and it's just missing. There's not like an extended version of the soundtrack, then like a a, a super duper version with. Oh, the, maybe there is. Maybe there is. But I, I, I haven't think, got it. Yeah, I think I just kind of got. I don't know whether it was even like a one disc or two disc, but there's maybe it's like a super duper three or four oh, this could be something. could be yeah it's not something i've looked into so- soundtracks is one of those things i don't really collect anymore funny enough um i, d- I, d- I don't think there's that many good soundtracks to tell you the well, truth. this is, <laughs> the, the, this you is know, this, very true uh you know the lord of the rings probably like one of the last movies where i did bother going by a soundtrack because i was blown away by by them, you know. So no, I mean, Hans Zimmer, he, he he's keeping in the tradition of actually having a theme to yeah. some of some films, you know. But uh, by and large, yeah, soundtracks to films now that they're instantly forgettable. I, I I couldn't I couldn't tell you what Captain America's theme is or no. or Iron Man's or anyone's like that, you know. Yeah. But uh, the moment in our sequence, it's ended by the voice of reason that is Aragorn saying, mm. um, "Legolas, yeah. get them up." Yep. Yeah. And uh, Sean Bean's imploring, give them a moment for pity's sake, um, yeah. which I've always loved. And it's finished by ending on Frodo's face. As yeah, he says, you know, he says, soon, soon these mountains will be, you know, covered Swarming in orcs. With orcs. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so that's that. That that that's our, the end of our sequence. Um, and so on to behind the scenes. Okay, now right. you you're you're going to know all this, Andrew, um, but. If, if you want to interject with other stuff, feel free. Um, Peter Jackson's Balrog design stems from the world-famous Tolkien illustrator John Howe. Yeah. Um, as so much of the film was, you were saying about Gandalf. Yeah, if you look at a, a, a John Howe painting of Gandalf, you know, mm. that he did back in, like, the 70s or the 80s, well, that could be in McKellen, couldn't it? You know, yeah. they were very truthful to him. Um but from his designs, a group of wetter artists, they played around with different ideas, okay? Some of them, there was a guy by the name of Christian Rivers. He did one of the earliest versions, which was essentially a man shaped with, uh, man-shaped with uh, wings of flame. Yeah. Okay. Uh, ben Watton had a much more reptilian one, but yeah. it, ha- it had that mane of fire that's mentioned in the book, and that was kept right through to the final version. And yeah. I've got here that John Howe said of his designs for the Balrog having wings. In the book, Tolkien says there are shadows like wings. It doesn't say they don't have wings, so why not? So yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's why his ones have wings. There's there's one illustration by a, a, a chap called Sean Bolton, and it's very reminiscent. Do you know the uh, the, the the demon of the top of Bald Mountain from the Fantasia? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very very reminiscent of that. You know, kind of. 
this one's got like much more of an anatomy with kind of almost like a six pack and kind of uh, muscle structure and stuff like that so you know that that's very sort of disney-esque um but there's a there's a fantastic illustration by christian rivers uh, of the sequence where um they're on the bridge um in the art of the lord of the rings book it's a painting by christian where uh, the balrog is low down and he's got the sword and he's got the whip and the whip's flailing out um, and that's a really, really nice, nice mm-hmm. illustration. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, C- Christian's somebody I've actually met. Um, oh, yeah. Um, m- many years ago, um, he, he um, my my friend Richard, who worked on the Frighteners uh, for Peter Jackson, uh, he brought Christian over to the UK. Well, Christian came over to the UK because he had relatives here, and then he brought him around to see me. So I've actually met Christian. Wow. Um, and he'd, he'd worked with Peter Jackson, I think, first on something like Brain Dead. I think he was just like an art assistant. Right. And then worked on uh, the uh, Heavenly Creatures, Frighteners. Obviously, then went to work on the Three Lord of the Rings, Kong. Uh, came back for The Hobbit. And uh, I think he won an Oscar for, for Kong, uh, Christian Rivers. He was like essentially effects and previous supervisor as well. Right. But um, he, he's, he's actually directing at the moment, Christian. He's doing this Mortal Engines film for, for Peter Jackson. Oh, right. This one, where, this one where these kind of cities are like on, you know, m- moving around the landscape. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of knocking me a bit because every time I sort of see an advert for this, it says Peter Jackson's Mortal Engines. And you're thinking, yeah, but he's not directing it. It's like Chris, <laughs> Christian's directing this. Yeah. Um, and. You know, you think, well, if it's a huge success, it'll be like, yeah, Peter Jackson. If it's a miserable failure, it'll go. Christian Rivers directed yeah, that, yeah. and um, he'll <laughs> get he'll get, get all the backlash. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, so Chris, Christian was originally going to direct the remake of the Dam Busters for Peter Jackson. And if oh, you actually right. do, if you do a search online, you can actually find a picture of him and Peter in the cockpit of the Lancaster bomber, and oh, some of the Lancaster bombers they built because they did actually get them built. Um, because Stephen Fry wrote the screenplay for the remake of the Dam Busters um, uh-huh. for, for Peter, and uh, they actually had a firm in, I think it was in China, build them sort of Lancaster bombers. They actually had not just one, but more than one full-size Lancaster bomber built. Oh, they had a, uh, and this was for the remake. So yeah, it, Christian's like a very old friend um, of Peter's, and you know, one of the original kind of wet workshop guys. Um, but yeah, the, the the art of books for those movies. I don't know if you got the art of. Yes, ones, I have. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, but there's there's three, and then like a spare one. I don't know if you've ever got the spare one. Yeah, I got the spare. Yeah, that, that that was cheeky of them. Once all three were out, and you think I've got them all. Yet then they bring out the fourth one, and yeah, yeah. it's got it's got illustrations that they didn't have to, uh, room for in the other three. Yes, that was a bit yeah. che- cheeky of them. Yeah, now, oh, I was just going to look at, uh, yeah, because my spare one I'm looking at on my shelf here has the name Gary Russell on the side, but the one I've actually got in front of me here also has the name Gary Russell, but on the inside. Um, oh, right. So, yeah, they, all, they are all by the same person, but, yeah, there was uh, one for each movie, then almost like, yeah, we, we've got some extra artwork. Yes. Around. <laughs> Let's I had, to, I had to have it, you know, you can't yeah. have three and not have the fourth, yeah. Yeah, but um, they, are, they are great. <laughs> Yeah. They are beautiful. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the rare occasions where you can actually research for this show by going through a book. You know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that that was good. Excuse me. Um, 
That big staircase scene, you know, where we were saying the Indiana Jones uh, staircase scene, the original yeah. idea was for the Balrog to crash through the rear wall where that staircase is and then fly yeah. down to them. Um, All right, okay. Yeah, so, yeah, you would have seen it flying. Um, the running over the bridge that we were talking about, yes, of course, it was entirely digital uh, with yeah. digital people that had been uh, motion captured and uh, and then just scanned in. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, I, th- I think at the time I was quite impressed by those because the, the previous digital people we'd ever seen in a movie were in uh, Cameron's Titanic and they were just mm. the ones walking on the deck. Yes. In that kind of flyover shot when we see the, the beauty shot of the Titanic. And I remember thinking, oh, they're all right. You know, I can tell they're not real. But with this one, it was like that next step on mm. where, you, where, you know, the, 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 they'd give them all the kind of the backpacks and the axes and the swords yeah. and... Things and like it that, works so. because because the camera's quite a way away. Yeah, um, you can look at that and and you can't go oh that 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 looks fake. I mean it's it's the camera thing that that throws me, not the actual people. Yeah, you know yeah. if you didn't know that they weren't real people, you would think mm. that they were real people. Yeah, but the, 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 this you know um, for me as well, um, these three films were kind of just that last sort of vestige of we're using. Uh, miniatures we're using people in kind of costume we're using you know um all sorts of techniques and doing it well and you know then the the sort of later films uh, the, the hobbit films he did and stuff like that everything just seemed to go digital you know there was less and less miniatures getting used uh, but this is you know the underground mines is miniature work and i mean it's a miniature because some of these things are absolutely gigantic you know they coined the term bigatures didn't they because yes of the, the size oh, yeah. of some of the some of these things but uh yeah we've still got the um the orcs and the majority of them are guys in costume and in masks um but unfortunately by the time we get to the sort of similar sequence in the mines um with the the goblins and uh the hobbit everything's just digital yeah um yeah and not and not as good you know no, i don't even get me started on the hobbit films because um, you know <laughs> the the films that the films I've only seen once, and I don't want to see again. You know, I've got no interest in seeing them again. I was just thoroughly disappointed. I didn't mind. I didn't mind the first Hobbit film. I thought, oh, okay, it's all right. But then the second, and then by the third, I was just like, no, that's it. I'm out. Really, you know. It's it's um, really weird because I I went to see them. I watched them. I got, I got them, you know, on DVD when they come out, and I've watched them. But I can't remember anything about them. There's you yeah. say to me Fellowship of the Ring and I can I can name you five classic moments from it yeah. you know oh, yeah. straight off the top of my head without thinking but there, there are some spiders I know there's some spiders yeah. that there's Shelob in there somewhere yeah. but it's yeah. like oh yeah um, for, for, for me I think the Fellowship is the best of any of the films and I think it's purely for the fact that that first film A had to be amazing because they needed it to be amazing to get people to watch the second and third. Yeah. So I think he really poured his heart and soul into the first film. I think everybody did. And I think what's good about the first film as well is we get to sort of see, um, we get to see the Battle of Mount Doom, we get to see the Shire, we get to see Lothlorien, we get to see Helm's Deep. Um, and you, you, and you, get, you, you get a teaser of Gollum. Don't you? It yeah. was brilliant how um, you only saw his eyes and his fingers, and that's about it. Yeah, th- th- this film's got um, 
different locations and we're still in a little bit of kind of there's a bit of colour by the sort of second and third film everything's going a bit dreary everything's going a bit kind of like you know the world's coming to an end almost mm. so there's not that much colour in the second and third movie everything's a little bit drab a bit grey a bit bleak um, but you know with, with the first film we've got the Shire and we have uh, said you know Lothlorien we have Rivendell mm. and these th- these are a sort of bright or sunny places and there's lights and things like that but um, I think that the first film just works so well and you know I could quite happily I mean you know, if I, someone said to me you can only have one Lord of the Rings film to take on your desert island I, I'd, I'd, it would be the first one because the sort of sequence at the end of the movie where the characters go the separate ways and Sam and Frodo just are going to kind of head off towards you know Moria or whatever it, it is almost like the end of end of the movie. I mean, it is the end of the movie, obviously, but you feel like, you know, you could think, well, oh, I wonder if he ever did find, yeah, find it, you know... It could have ended just like that, couldn't it? They, they, yeah, they, they you could know. have run out of money and it's not and it's not continued, a bit like the Ralph Bakshi version. And, yeah. and I, I would have been perfectly happy with that. I, I totally agree with you. This would, this yeah. would be my choice over yeah. the other two, definitely. It, it almost feels like that last shot is like, you know... That, yeah, did they ever get the ring, you know, back to Mount Doom or whatever? But you don't necessarily feel like disappointed if you didn't see it. No, um, no. You know, the fact we got the other two movies is fantastic. But, uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's always been my, my favourite of the bunch, uh, definitely, just on, on so many levels. And the Balrog is one of those reasons. Okay, well, that's a, that, that's a nice point then for me to uh, say to you, Andrew. What do you rate it? Uh, I'll, I'm probably have to. I'm not going to go quite a ten, but I'm definitely going to give it a nine point five. Snap! That's exactly what I've got. That's <laughs> for exactly that reason. It's like, well, I can't give it a ten, but I can get close. So yeah, no, no, I I think it's superb. You know, um, and you, you you know, I I don't think it's going to date. Um, you know, no. no matter what advances there are going to be in the future with special yeah. effects, this is still a classic, I think. Yeah, th- th- that sequence to me is the equivalent of like let me me send. I'll watch the Cyclops from the Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, or I'll watch the Carly from so. the Golden Voyage. You know, I'll watch the Balrog from Fellowship because it's it it stands in that sort of same sort of world, doesn't it? Of- it is worthy to stand alongside the classic. Monsters. Oh, yeah, definitely. definitely. And, there's not, and there's not many digital creatures that I could honestly probably list that. You could have the T-Rex from the first Jurassic Park, I think you could yeah, put in yeah, there. But yeah, yeah, there's not many more. <laughs> no. Um, possibly the bugs from Starship Troopers kind of fit into that same sort of realm mm. of digital, but still feel tactile, still feel practical, because they yeah. were made by practical people. Yes. Um, you know, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great... I think that's what I was saying earlier on. Is it's not overused. That don't spoil it. That they could. I think the trouble with a lot of movie monsters, especially when they've the appearing sequels and stuff, is we just become blasé to them. Mm. Um, and I think it is the fact that maybe it's the first and second movies, especially, were shot very, very close together. I know the third one, they were given more money because I think the first two had done so damn well. Um, they actually sort of pumped more money into the third one, so they actually did do sort of like more comprehensive stuff. But these first two films, I think, were very intertwined mm. um, in, in terms of the shooting. So, you know, that's probably why they 
it, it does work so well between the two movies and we don't get this kind of thing of or we can make it look better in the second film, you know. Um, no, no, you've got continuity, haven't you? Yeah, and it it really does feel like you know the the, the it was one big movie. That's that's the good thing about it. Um, you know, I mean, and again, I was saying about the documentaries. If you watch those documentaries, what's amazing is there's some sequences. I think it's the bit where they climb up the stone staircase uh, when they're heading towards where you know they're going to head through where uh, Shellob is, and. Um, I think they shot some of those sequences a year apart. <laughs> I think I think it said they were filming in some... I think the weather turned bad. They built the set in some kind of hotel sports hall. Um, and they were filming Sam, uh, Sean Astin and uh, Elijah Wood up on top of the thing. This is before they even had Andy Serkis there as Gollum. And then they said, suddenly the weather turned good. So they said to the people who owned the hotel, can we leave our set? And a year later, they went back and filmed the pickups. <laughs> um, now, just imagine being the makeup person on that, where you've got to try Blimey. and make the mud on the face and the grime on the fingernails yeah, look yeah, identical yeah, yeah. A, year, a year later. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it's crazy sort of shooting. Their um, idea. That, that, I, I, I like any movie where you can actually watch the documentaries or read the making of books, and it is like a story in itself, mm. you know, it is that kind of Peter Jackson needed to make this amazing, you know. Um, his career was riding on it, yeah. you know. Um, I mean, the, the original idea was that he wanted to just shoot two movies. Um, I think when he he was originally at New Line, uh, sorry Miramax, I think he had a chance to shoot two movies, and then when New Line Cinema uh, took over, I think he pitched it to them, and they said but isn't it three books? And he said, yeah. And they said, why don't we make three movies? And he was like, yeah, go on then. And I think, I think, I think that was the point you see is like, you know, it was a case of, it did need to be three, three movies, but he was quite happy to do two because that's all he thought he was going to get. Yeah. But unfortunately with the Hobbit, they took what should have been a one, three hour movie and turned yeah, it into three films, oh, 10 man. hours or something ridiculous, you know, yeah. which was just ludicrous. Um, you know, Jackson should have turned around and said, no, we'll, we'll do one three hour Hobbit movie, um, you know, to kind of like pre prequel sort of the others. And that's kind of it. But. You know, of course, the producers all they see is dollar signs. Yeah, of course, uh, of course, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and and I mean, any anybody who's listening to this, if you do look up, I think it's from the um, from the third Hobbit film. There's a bit of a documentary on uh, YouTube, which is on one of the Blu-rays apparently, and they actually do. As Peter Jackson does say, it wasn't the way to make a movie. You know, mm. the, the the third Hobbit movie. Um, any of the Hobbit movies because they they literally had none of the sort of time that they had on this first film because Guillermo del Toro was sacked from the Hobbit um, or, or left the Hobbit depending on you know some, some people say he was sacked some people said he got fed up and just left um, I think Richard uh, Taylor says something along the lines of when they first did the uh, Fellowship of the Ring and the first trilogy, he said we had 18 months worth of pre-production and he said we had armor sat on racks a year before we ever needed it, but he said if you what with The Hobbit, he said we were quite often making props still the night before they were needed. Dear, oh dear. Um, and he said that's not the way to work and I think it was that sequence where 
they were shooting some battle sequences and Andy Serkis was directing the second unit for The Hobbit and um, the, Peter said, you know, it was just getting to the point of chaos. They didn't know what they were doing and they just said, let's shut production down. We need to sit down and see what we've got footage-wise and work out what we need to shoot. Hmm. I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of the costumes that were made for The Hobbit, for the Orcs, were scrapped because they figured it was just easier to do it digitally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it was Azog or Bolg he actually made a costume of, um, and you can see it on, online, and I think it's even in one of the books. And I think even the toy they made was actually based on the actual costume. It was mm-hmm. so late in production that they changed the look of uh, Bolg. Um, or Azog, I can't remember which one it was. But, um, yeah, the toy is actually based on the original design. And mm-hmm. I think it was sort of like a case of we can do this digitally, hand it out to loads of people around weather and get all the shots done we needed. So, yeah, it was uh, a very... Yeah, I don't. I think if, if Peter Jackson writes a biography in years to come, I don't think he will look back fondly on The Hobbit no. um, as a production. I think he was massively pressured into getting those films done. Uh, by by the studio, um, and it comes across even if you don't know any of that. If 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 you view, say, the Fellowship of the Rings, and then mm-hmm. you view the Hobbit, it it they feel different, don't they? You can tell there was love and attention to detail, etc., etc., on Fellowship of the Ring, and that they had time, and they were given yeah. freedom and space to develop and do all this. You know, the the other thing as well. Um, is the fact that the Lord of the Rings was still shot on film? It was thirty-five mil, mm-hmm. um, where the the Hobbit was shot digitally, and they they, they did this thing of shooting at least the first one and releasing the first one at the uh, faster frame rate. Now I never seen it, uh, right. the, the Hobbit at uh, sixty frames a second, but I know a few people that did. One of my friends said it looked rubbish. He said it looked, he said it looked cheap. He said it made every set look like a set. Right. He said. He said it was weird. He, said, he he described it as being kind of almost like you're you physically sat there with the hobbits, uh, with with the dwarfs and with Gandalf and with Bilbo around that table, like it's a live documentary feed. Because right. he said the, the way the image was projected, he said it just felt like live. He said it didn't feel like you were watching a film. He said it felt like you were physically there, and he said it made everything look really cheap. He said that it made it made the set look cheap. It made the costumes look cheap. It made the makeups look cheap. Um, just because, <laughs> just just because the frame. I mean, film for me is all about creating atmosphere. And he said that's. He said it didn't have none of that. He said it felt like you were watching a video. Um, no. You know, which which is really weird because you watch a film like Excalibur or you watch a film like Legend. It's all about the atmosphere, isn't it? You know, it's. Yeah. it's you know, there's the, the so much they did with the with the cinematography where he just said this felt really nasty, kind mm. of almost. Um, That's very and I think, interesting. Yeah, and then after that, I think the following year when the um, Desolation of Smaug came out, I think it was a case of nobody showed the 60 frames a second. Uh, oh, really? Print, print, yeah, I think everybody had just sort of dropped it, and I think even the studio had decided to drop it at that point. Um, and it's something you've never heard of again. You know, no, no. no movie, <laughs> no movie has since tried it. And the only other person I've ever heard mention frame rate stuff is James Cameron with Avatar Two. Right. Um, you know, he supposedly wants to shoot at crazy frame rates for that. You know, 120 frames a second and stuff. Uh, but I think a lot of people have said no, it doesn't work. 24 frames a second. 
as the frame rate we've pretty much been watching, you know, since the dawn years. of cinema. Yeah, yeah I, th- I, th- I think the beginning in cinema they were they, they were filming at nineteen frames a second, weren't there, or something? Well, um, different. Di- it, it, it's funny. But, I'm just researching for next week's episode, and uh, yeah, Georges Melier, his preferred uh, rate was twelve to fourteen frames yeah. per but, second. But, that was his but, preferred one. But they were projecting back at that frame rate as well, weren't they? That's the yes. whole point. Um, it's it's when <laughs> it's when you watch all these old films where everyone appears to be running around really really quickly. Um, and you think, yeah, it's because they're showing a 19 frames a second film, but they're showing it at 24, frame, 24 yeah. 25 frames a second. So everyone's a little bit quick. Um, um, but besides that, you know, we've, we've watched films at uh, 24 frames a second pretty much since day one of um, cinema. And then for someone to come along and try and shake it up and do this high frame rate. I know this high frame rate is... It, it, Doug Trumbull did a similar thing with Showscan. Um, back in the 1970s or 80s, but that was for kind of Epcot or it was for one of these Disneyland things. And I think these frame rates and these 3Ds are great for gimmicky things. Hmm. I think that if if you want to do like a five-minute simulator ride and make it look ultra-realistic, fantastic, it works good for that. But Um, not on a three-hour film. But not on a three-hour film where you're trying to to suck people into a a mood and an atmosphere. Um, And I've often said this about TV is I I don't want to watch not that I want to watch Coronation Street anyway but I don't want to watch Coronation Street in 4K resolution <laughs> um, because who wants to watch something that sharp you know it it it's it's a it was a, a gritty grimy soap opera yes um, you know 4K resolution may be fantastic for watching um, you know the monkeys in the rainforests or it may mm. be great if you want to watch uh, something like a akin to Live Aid, where it's a pop concert, or, yeah. you know, if it, if it's a sporting event like the Olympics, because you might want to feel like you're there, but in a, in a world like Middle Earth or um, uh, Star Wars, it, it, there's something, they're creating a world, and you don't want to feel like you're, you're physically in that world, but you want to be looking into the world. Yes. Um, you know, so, but that, that's my opinions about, you know, <laughs> frame rates and filming stuff yes all right well (laughs) thank you thank you for your opinions there (laughs) (laughs) you you cut all that last bit out if you want (laughs) no 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 it was very interesting i i i i wasn't aware of an awful lot of that and uh yeah that's the first i've heard about um it you know the 60 frame rate you know people finding it unsettling and you Mm. know yeah yeah all right, all right. right. Well, thank, thank, thank you then, Andrew. Okay, it's been a pleasure. Next time, and you and I, you and I know what we're going to be talking about next time, but the audience don't. So, all we'll right, keep, yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll keep you in suspense. Mm. But uh, yeah, we 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 actually thinking about it. Next time we're talking, we are talking a bit of CGI, but a bit earlier CGI next time, aren't we? Yeah. Um... Com- combination of CGI and practical, isn't it? And practical, so, yeah. yeah. So yeah. let's let it's certainly not Jumanji. My wife's saying Jumanji. <laughs> dear, oh dear. <laughs> Wash your mouth out. Um, all right, okay, Andrew, to be continued, all right? All right. Yeah. All right. All right. See you later. Right. Take care. Thank- thanks, then. Bye bye. Bye bye.